Well, thank you, Pastor Randy. It's a privilege always to have you back, but also a privilege to partner with you now, uh, especially as you continue to teach people the Word and help them understand how to understand the Word. Um, and even in the midst of tragedy, I think it is good for us to open the Word together and to see what the Lord would say to us this morning. So, if, you're, if you will stand with me, if you're able, and turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 23. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, this morning, help us to hear from you. Give us soft hearts, please, so that we can hear your word and respond and live in a way that is pleasing to you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, uh, today I wrestled with whether to continue on in our Sermon on the Mount series. But after praying and reflecting, decided that the Lord was leading me to press on and preach most of what I prepared earlier this week. The passage that we just read is... It consists of two sobering warnings. The Sermon on the Mount as a whole ends with three warnings, and these were two of them. The second one is kind of a two-part warning. And I think losing our friend Ray helps us to take these warnings to heart. Because sometimes we like to hold these warnings at arm's length, or we don't think about them. We don't think about the reality that an end is coming. And we kind of just gloss over, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus, you're warning us. But as I was reflecting on Ray and his life, the Word and our church, I felt like it would be prudent to have a message of warning. Because in the end, we all will face judgment. Ray was also a fighter. He wanted to protect the flock against false teachers. That was many of our conversations together. He hated wolves in sheep's clothing. What do you know? Jesus today was talking about wolves in sheep's clothing. 
So I felt like this passage was fitting to preach today. As we walk through this passage, I want there to be two words that you kind of hold in your mind as we go through of that. Easy and external. Those are the two words. Easy and external. The first warning warns us overtaking the easy path. Now, some of you may enjoy challenges. I enjoy challenges. If I haven't done the video game on the hardest setting or done whatever task it is at the hardest degree, I get a little frustrated. I haven't done it if I haven't done the hardest thing. My wife is very different. She's happy to do it on easy mode or whatever. So God wired us very different. But that's not actually the type of challenge that Jesus is talking about here when he talks about the difficult and hard path. It's not that type of challenge, just being hard for hard's sake. Instead, he's talking about the life of persecution, ridicule, being different, being pressed in on. It's not the type of heart of, oh, I'm climbing up a mountain, but instead things are pressing in on me. And then he has a second warning where he talks about there being something better than mere external fruit. So we have easy road and then external fruit. He says there's something better than that, something we need to be pressing on and having, this good fruit, this fruit that comes from within. It's quicker and easier to hang fruit you buy from the grocery store on the tree than it is to actually have a tree that bears good fruit. And he warns us against that. Now, I want us to see that today's passage is not a simple stop it or go do this thing over here. But instead, through these warnings, Jesus is inviting us into a different life. He's inviting us into a different life, a better life, the flourishing life. As we've walked through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen that Jesus is continually talking about a greater righteousness and that this flourishing life that he started out with in the Beatitudes has a righteousness, a greater righteousness that comes from our hearts. It doesn't opt for the easy way. It doesn't have just external fruit, but it's something that has a heart that's aligned with both our mouth and our hands. So as we walk through the passage, be wrestling with what path am I on and what fruit am I bearing? What path am I on? What fruit am I bearing? So let's dive back in to our passage, starting in verse 13. Here's the first warning. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So we have this word easy. That's what I want you to hold on to, but I'm going to give you our first point right off the bat. God warns hearers. That includes you, because we're all hearers of what Jesus is saying. God warns hearers to opt for the flourishing, yet uncomfortable life. Over what? Over the comfortable, yet destroyed life. So we have flourishing, yet uncomfortable, over comfortable, yet destroyed. This is a warning to walk this particular path. To walk a particular path. So turning back to our scripture itself. Hope we got flourishing and uncomfortable, comfortable and destroyed. But in verse 13, let's talk about kind of the nature of this path and this gate because when we hear kind of be, stay, stay on the straight and narrow, something comes to our minds kind of culturally speaking because of how we handle this text that I think is not actually what Jesus is saying. It's not actually correct. Because if we read it that way where Jesus is telling me, hey, you need to live a particular way, well that kind of rubs up against what he's been saying through this whole sermon, right? 
Has he shifted gears into saying, well, you had better stay and do this thing right here in order to stay in my good graces? Well, no, because he's been talking about the heart this whole time, not just kind of this external behavior. So let's talk specifically about the narrow uh, and difficult. This word narrow is not narrow in the sense of I have a path and I have a ditch on, on either side where I have to kind of thread the needle, if you will. It's not that type of sense. Instead, it's this idea of I'm cramped or confined. There's, a lot of, there's not a lot of space to move around because things are pressing in on me. It's uncomfortable. I can't just, you know, spread my arms and run around and dance. It's a narrow road. The walls are pressing in on you. And the word hard that Jesus uses here, the way is hard in verse 14 that leads to life, that's not hard in the sense of climbing a mountain and it's exhausting. It's hard in the sense of it's full of oppression and affliction, persecution. It's the road of suffering and difficulty. Not this road is full of commands that are hard. Because usually that's the way we think of it. Oh, stay on the straight and narrow. Okay, there's this set of commands that I have to follow that are really hard and it's going to be exhausting. But no, Jesus is saying, live the life that I have been talking about throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You will face opposition when you do that. He said, he contrasts it with the wide and easy way, which again is the opposite of what Jesus has been teaching. Because it's easy just to obey the external law. You aren't going to rub anybody the wrong way when you fit in with the religious crowd around you. It's also easy to do the spiritual things to get the praise of men. We kind of talked about that in that middle teaching block of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the easy and the wide way. We're just doing what the religious culture around us, around us does. But he says, no, that's not the type of righteousness we need. We don't need fake righteousness. We need real, greater righteousness. Several years after I came on staff with a ministry organization uh, right out of college, they realized that they needed to do a better job of screening young men in particular and talking about pornography use among their missionary staff. They used to have this very clear standard for potential missionaries that you had to have no pornography use for, I think it was about six months. But then they were, found, they were finding that, that young staff men, they would come on staff with this missions organization and then they'd start falling back into pornography, even though they had this track record of success. Well, why? Well, these young men knew the standard. Oh, okay, I need to have six months of no pornography use. And they would just kind of grit it out, holding on for dear life until they crossed that line where they wouldn't actually deal with what was going on in their heart. They were just doing external behavior, not dealing with the heart. And next thing you know, they've kind of crossed the finish line and everything falls apart. And they realized we need to do a better job of talking about the heart. The wide and easy way doesn't deal with the heart. It just ignores it and says, we just do things out here. People won't have a problem with us and we'll just continue on. We have to deal with our brokenness. We have to walk through those hard things. See, Jesus has a vision for right righteousness, as one of my professors used to say, that is more and deeper than behavior. And hopefully that's not news to you as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. That's been a consistent theme over and over and over. This road that Jesus talks about walking is certainly uncomfortable, but it's better. It's better. He gives us two other descriptors in this, uh, this warning of this road. 
versus the, the bad road, if you will. There's the many and the few, or versus the few. So we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves in the minority. The culture around us will always push back against the gospel. We should expect this, both from legalists on one side who say you aren't spiritual enough, you are too licentious, you just do whatever you want. Jesus was always accused of doing the wrong thing by the religious people. But then also we should face pushback by those who just want to do whatever they want. You guys are so judgmental. You guys are concerned with righteousness. Righteousness is just me doing whatever I want. We should feel pressure from both sides. Even when Christianity has grown and changed a culture because of revival, usually within a generation things go awry. The own the own our own ecclesiological, our own church tradition that our church comes out of, the free church, there was a state church that was viewed to be dead, and so some faithful Christians said, we can't be a part of this dead church. We need to be our own church that's free from government control. Hence, we get the free church. It's one of the, and that's where our church comes from. Because we're always in need of a revival. It doesn't matter if the culture as a whole has at one point been more aligned with Christianity, within a generation, people's hearts always tend to go away. Just look in the book of Judges. God raises up a judge. The people walk with God for a little bit. A new generation comes along and, well, everything goes the wrong way. We shouldn't be surprised when we are in the minority. And the goal should never to become the majority. Instead, we need to seek to be faithful as we walk with God. And if God does an amazing work, praise be to God. But Jesus' promise here is that few will find it. Few will find it. Don't be discouraged when you find yourself among the few. We also get this life versus destruction. Life versus destruction. One path leads to destruction. One path leads to life. This is a promise. It's a sober promise, sober just reality, that all of us face an end. And that judgment is coming, and there are eternal consequences to the paths that we walk. You may think the path you're on, oh, no big deal. There are consequences, eternal consequences to your path. Jesus says it very clearly. The easy path leads to destruction. Three times in these, war- these two warnings alone, Jesus talks about destruction talks about here, then he talks about it again in verse 19. He says, every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 23, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All of these are pictures of judgment. Jesus, more than anyone else, talks about hell and the reality that a judgment is coming. More than anyone, Jesus warns because he's offering an invitation. You may have noticed that the title of the sermon was You've been warned, but also invited. Jesus invites us through his warnings. And there's only two paths for which you will walk. I praise God that Ray was walking on the path to life. You see, this promise of life is not a promise that we experience all that we want now, and we have all the comfort that we want now, and we have everything that we think we should have now. That is not where life is found. Instead, Jesus offers this promise and says at the end of this path, at the end of this road, there will be life. We have life coming. 
I praise God that that is true. Will you hear that warning? Will you hear? We don't want to be on the path that is comfortable, yet faces destruction. Will you hear those words? Our tendency is to opt for the wide and easy, is it not? I mean, it's more attractive. (laughs) Feels better. But the irony is that true comfort is found in Christ. That road offers a type of comfort, but it doesn't offer true comfort. It doesn't offer the comfort that we actually need, that restoration, that shalom, that peace with our God and Father. Jesus says this in just a few chapters. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, He says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. Yes, this path is difficult, but Jesus says it is the flourishing life that in some odd, strange way is the easy life because it's walked with Jesus. So again, God warns hearers to opt for the flourishing yet uncomfortable life over the, uncomfortable, or the, over the comfortable yet destroyed life. I'm going to go straight into my second point because we're going to talk about it for a while. God warns hearers that you will know people's hearts by what they do. And God only knows those who truly do good fruit. God warns hearers that you will know people's hearts by what they do, and God only knows those who truly do good fruit. Now there's two parts to this warning, and so my point kind of has two parts. You know people by what they do. God only knows those who truly do good fruit. We're going to unpack that second one in a minute because it can feel a little concerning. Like, what do you mean? I, I do things and then God knows me. But the word again that I want you to remember through this one is external. External. So, picking back up in verse 15, beware of false prophets. That's the big command. Beware of false prophets. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, we have these sheep, or these wolves who are in sheep's clothing. You see them by their fruit. Then in 17, kind of making again this analogy of, or metaphor of you have a diseased tree that only bears diseased fruit versus a good tree that, ver- that bears good fruit. He's talking about the externals. The externals. This command, beware of the false prophets. Beware. There's a strong command of be continually looking for the false prophets. Don't just find one false prophet and check the box. Okay, I did it. But it's be on the lookout. Be continually watchful of the false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruits. Now, when he's talking about fruit and bearing fruit, there's a fun way that this word bear works in in Greek. In in English, we say bear. In Greek, they talk about trees making or doing fruit. Trees do fruit. In English, we bear fruit. And Jesus uses this idea of do in this warning and also in this kind of the second half of the warning as well. That's why I think these are ultimately one warning because Jesus is doing a little wordplay here, continuing these themes. He's talking about doing a particular type of fruit. Now, when our oldest daughter was two or three, around Christmas time, you'd see the Christmas tree, and she believed that the little red balls on the Christmas tree were apples. She called them apples and would, like, play around with them and talk about them being apples. 
which made sense because they were red and round and were on a tree. Why, why wouldn't they be apples? They look like them. Now, we know that those aren't apples because it's coming from a Christmas tree, which is a pine tree, and pine trees make pine cones. Take one bite into a pine cone and you'll be very aware that it is not an apple. Each tree does their own type of fruit. What kind of tree it is defines what type of fruit it has, and the same is true of us. Who we are on the inside determines what we do on the outside. People can do things on the outside, but that doesn't mean that it's something that's coming from a good heart. And that thing on the outside is therefore not good. But Jesus here is very clearly saying, look, there are these people who are going to come in among you. They're going to say the right things. They're going to be wearing the right clothes. They're going to be wearing those sheep costumes. And they are going to be wolves. So who are these false prophets? Well, clearly in this context, Jesus is talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. They look like great religious people, but their fruit is rotten. They don't have the life of Christ. They don't have the Beatitudes. When we talked about those blessedness or the flourishing ideas that we had way back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, pure in heart, being peacemakers, all of those things. Jesus says you will be able to look at their life and if you don't see those things, they're wolves. They're wolves. So who are today's false prophets? I think Pastor Randy actually summed it up very well. We have the prosperity gospel teachers who say, hey, God wants your best life now. If you do this, God will give you that. It rejects suffering and it focuses on the self. And we see that throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has talked about embrace suffering and focus on others. That is the way of the Christian life. Any type of Christian life that tries to make it about me and looks at suffering and says, nah, I'm not going to have any part of that. That's not the response of the Christian. The prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. It is wicked and evil and comes from the pits of hell itself. It will lead us astray if we think we can have flourishing in this life. Back in the very beginning of this sermon series, when we talked about what flourishing actually is, we talked about it being waiting for the coming kingdom. It's suffering now with the expectation and hope of the future reality. And it's not a future in reality here. It's a future in reality there. There's also what I call the disguised prosperity gospel. And that's where you have Christians that preach a way of Christianity where you do X and God does Y. And what I mean by that is you raise your kids a certain way, or you are a certain type of man, or you are a certain type of wife, then God will reward you with the well-ordered Christian life. Your kids will know the Lord. You'll have all your finances in a row. Maybe you won't be rich, but you'll be stable. And I think generally, Proverbs speaks to these things and says, yes, there are general patterns and principles that God desires for us and that generally work in life, but those are principles, not promises. And people offer these principles as promises, and then people do them thinking that God ought to do something else in their life or bring them happiness and joy. And God says, no, I just want you to be faithful. Will you walk with me? Will you find your delight and joy in me and reveling in my magnificent grace? 
He says, that's what I want you to be. And you may walk a hard, long road of suffering that does not stop in this world. Not everybody gets to have the wonderful ending of Job. We forget Job had a wonderful ending. But Job is mostly not, hey, God will restore you. It's, there is pain and suffering. And someday, yes, God will restore us, but it will not necessarily be in the here and now. Okay, I'm... Getting, getting excited. We got prosperity gospel people. We have disguised prosperity gospel. We also have Christian teachers who look at the Beatitudes as weak. And I think they are wolves in, ship clo- she- sh- wolves in sheep's clothing. Not ship's clothing. Ships don't wear clothes. Wolves in sheep's clothing. They, are, they look at the Beatitudes and they say, that doesn't work in our society. We need to be people who are conquering and victorious. And it's not that we don't have a true word to say or that we need to speak truth boldly into a culture, because we do. But Jesus tells us to be a particular type of people. And when you read the Beatitudes, they are very clear that those people seem pretty weak. They seem pretty weak. They are peacemakers. These things are not optional for the Christian life. Also, We need to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When we look, and we are looking for people's fruit, look for beatitudes, look for the fruit of the Spirit. Because that will show us who the people are that rightly belong to the Lord. Okay. Let's talk about the second part of the warning. Starts in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the bulk of that warning. Am I saying that what we do results in us knowing God or makes us right with God when I say that God only knows those who truly do good fruit? That was the second part of that second point. God only knows those who truly do good fruit. Well, no. Let's unpack this and see what Jesus is saying. Jesus is still focusing on external things. Because look, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out many demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? We did all of these things out here, Jesus. Jesus is cautioning us against looking just at external fruit, but also saying the internal is what God is looking at. Some people appear to have good fruit, but it doesn't come to their heart or come from their heart. And I've used this picture before, and I'll use it again. It's fruit that's been stapled onto the outside. It's not their own. Jesus gives an emphasis on doing, in verse 21, only the one who does the will of my Father, or kind of going back to the first part, the one who's doing the fruit, making the fruit, only the one who does the will of my Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. This clearly doesn't equal just doing spiritual things. Doing the will of the Father can't be just doing spiritual things because Jesus then goes to say, depart from me, I knew you not. He calls them workers of lawlessness in 23. This is a quote from Psalm uh, 6, verse 8. David is crying out to the Lord and he calls those who oppose him and the Lord workers of evil. And here we have Jesus talking about and to people who are, who are very spiritual and do a lot of spiritual things and would identify with David and say, yeah, I'm on David's side. I'm a child of Abraham. 
And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, no, no, you're the one David is talking about. You're the one who's going to hear, depart from me. Depart from me. I do not know you. Doing righteous deeds without the right heart is actually lawlessness. Trying to follow the law out of a heart that doesn't love the Lord is not following the law. It comes from the heart. And this should be a sobering reality for us because many of us, well, I'd say all of us, we have that tendency where we just kind of want to do the externals. But there's also those among of us here that we've never actually had it come from our heart. We've never laid down our lives and stopped fighting. There are many high-profile celebrity preachers who have fallen in recent years. You've probably read the stories. That's nothing new, but it has been seemingly a lot in recent years. That's mainly because gifted people were elevated to positions of power and influence. They were gifted orators or great organizers. But that heart work was never really done. There was no character there to back it up. And over time, that bad fruit began to be shown and they fall. So, what is Jesus actually saying about only knowing those who do the will of the Father? I think it's ultimately this. Doing doesn't lead to knowing, but knowing leads to doing. Only those with the greater righteousness that Jesus has been preaching about through the Sermon on the Mount get to enter the kingdom of heaven. But that greater righteousness is not the cause for the entrance into heaven. He's saying this is what our lives are. This is the fruit that we see. Not you have this in order to get God to like you. You see, the Christian life is about us confessing our sin to a holy God. You see, we have hearts that when we are born, we rebel against God. We are just naturally rebellious sinners. We look at God and say, no, thank you. And we deserve eternal condemnation, eternal damnation because of that. But God, in His mercy, in His great love with which He has loved us, said, I'm going to pay the price for your rebellion. And Jesus died on the cross for you, for me, for those of us who are in Christ and believe. He died for us. And He welcomes us to believe. He says, look, to have my gift, the only thing that you need to do is to believe. And he says, when you believe, I give you a new heart. You have a heart that is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will dwell inside of us, gives us new desires, new affections, new wants, new cravings. Not all at once, not that all of our old things are suddenly, poof, gone, but that we have new life within us that's giving us new desires and slowly, over time, our desires in life change. And it comes out in this greater righteousness. That's the way our life ultimately will look. The righteous life is characterized by a steady yet often stumbling progression toward a greater and greater love for God and neighbor. That is the greater righteousness that Jesus is talking about. It's not a righteousness that earns God's favor. It is the righteousness that is the result of a completed work of Christ in our lives. So again, God warns hearers that you will know people's hearts by what they do, and God only knows those who truly do good fruit. Is your walk with God an external veneer? 
Is it external only? Or has something happened in your heart? As we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, we've only got one more left. Next week we'll be talking about building on rock versus sand. Have you been hearing what I've said and been saying and looked at it and said, yeah, that's just for the spiritual people though. It's not for me. It is for you. It's for all of us. It is the Christian life. It's not about being uber spiritual. It's not about having your acts together. It's about surrendering and saying, Lord, change me. Or do you do the mighty works? Do you say, yes, I've got it all together? But you don't have poorness of spirit, mourning, meekness. You don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. You don't love mercy. You're not pure of heart. You don't make peace. For all of us, every last one of us in this this room, there are places where we are settling for external fruit. None of us are exempt from that. There's fruit that we're stapling onto our trees, even if your tree is good. We sometimes see fruit over there. We see it at the grocery store, and we're like, oh, that looks really tasty. And we take it, and we staple it onto the fruit of our life, or on the trees of our life. I invite you to stop doing that, because that's more work. (laughs) What's, What's harder? Continually going to the store to buy fruit? Or to have a tree that is good and bears fruit, just naturally, and you go outside and you pluck it. Oh, here's fruit. Isn't it tasty and sweet? I don't know about you, but going to the grocery store sounds exhausting. That's why Rox goes to the grocery store. I get overwhelmed. I always buy more than I should. It's bad. I want to end on this. In his kindness, God warns us. I mentioned before that this is an invitation through warning. and That we serve a gracious God who cares and says, I want you to know that there is a path to life and that there is a path to destruction. If God did not care, He would not warn. I love my children, therefore I warn them. And the same is true of our Heavenly Father. There's an invitation to come and have life and have it to the full. Come and have life, I beg of you. Be invited to come and sit at the table and eat with the King. A response for today, just as you dwell on this as you go. Lord, help me to choose the narrow road and bear the good fruit. It's just a cry for help. Lord, help me to choose the narrow road and bear the good fruit. Don't settle for easy. Don't settle for external. May God have mercy on us. Father, we thank you that you are good and kind. Help us to walk with you and worship you. Father, have mercy on us because we do want to go down the easy path so often. Father, please change our desires. Help us to have good, true fruit that comes out of our lives. Father, may we not stand before you and say, Lord, Lord, look at all these great, amazing things I did in your name. May instead we humbly come before you and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Father, make us new. Make us more and more into the image of your Son. and Help us to worship you and honor you because you are our God. You are good and you are faithful. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.